I just put a spoonful of food in my mouth. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Reactive. Uh, this week we have uh, me, your friendly Rockbot, uh, aka Raquel Velez, and Henning. Hello. Um, once again, Khalil has ditched us. Um, I mean, no, he didn't ditch us. He just went to Thailand or something. Something, something, vacation, self-care, whatever. We really know uh, that he is hanging out with the Vietnamese Javan rhinoceros. Or maybe it's the, uh, what was it? The the lesser false vampire bat. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe he'll, depending on how, he's going to be te- gone 10 days or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so maybe the first half will be the rhino and then he'll go check out the bats. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe he's with a false killer whale. Oh, they have it's that not, too. It's it's not a true killer whale, just a false killer. So, um, reactive listeners, I'm currently looking at the uh, at Wikipedia's list of species native to Thailand because you know Khalil just got on a plane and left us. So I am left to my own devices to figure out who he's hanging out with. Um, you know. Yeah, and, we'll put a link in the show notes, and then we can have like a a guessing yeah. game in the Slack exactly. channel. And yes, then, yes. And the one to, to, to guess the closest without going over wins some sort of prize. <laughs> New emoji. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Irrawaddy dolphin. Yes. Yeah. Large gibbet. Anyway, okay. Um, uh, so have fun on vacation, Khalil. Yes. Enjoy. We Sounds miss like you. a really great time. Yeah, I know. I, I've only heard amazingly beautiful things about Thailand. But so a we're expecting. a trip from here. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and the weird thing is he just left now as spring has actually started in this country uh, or continent. Mm-hmm. Um, everything has turned green in the last, like the last few trees outside my window have sort of exploded in green, which is very mm-hmm. refreshing and uplifting over the weekend where... I did some gardening, so I, I have, like, I'm trying to get everything that sort of died and, you know, had to be put in the basement um, <clears throat> over the winter to get mm-hmm. that all blooming again. Because, I don't know, I take a lot of uh, joy of, you know, gardening itself and then just having plants and stuff around. So I have, like, uh, you know, these huge window boxes with geraniums that hang over the the windowsill they they get like one and a half meters long, so it looks pretty cool. Wow! Like fire, that's awesome. Fire red, yeah. So that's yeah, we did that, and um, yes, I have to say this. Um, you know, I don't know that the gray is gone for good. It never is here, but uh, at least there's a lot more blue <laughs> sky. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the it really is like six months of gray, rainy, cold, and there's no amount of vitamin D pills that will make that better. <laughs> So things are looking up. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, Meanwhile, meanwhile, as we enter into the summer months uh, here in in California, in Northern California, in the Bay Area, it's just gray. It's gray. Like the biggest misnomer is when people come to the Bay Area in like the summer and they're like, I'm going to California and packing the shorts and the tank tops and the flip flops and everything. And they get here and they're like, I'm so cold. (laughs) 
because it's windy and cloudy and gloomy and gross and the real Bay Area summer isn't actually until the fall. Huh. I didn't so, know that. I thought yeah. that's weird. Gloomy, gloomy California. That doesn't even make any sense either. The few times I've been there, yeah. it's been gorgeous. Yeah. Well, so like the best times are like April, April, May tends to be pretty okay. Um, I know we're like in the middle of May right now, but, um, and then like July is like the worst month. Don't come to San Francisco in July or June. And like, and you can always tell when people have like packed incorrectly because like it's the one time that you see people all over the city uh, wearing the big like San Francisco hoodies in like size triple extra large because it was the only one available. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, you didn't get the memo. Oh, no. Like, and they're shivering and they're like, that's so cold. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's year round hoodie weather. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least, so I live in the East Bay, so we get more sun. It at least burns off the fog yeah. by around days. So, like right around now. Um, it's, it's just afternoon here. Uh, it's, it's starting, like the sun's starting to come out and it'll stay out till about four or five in the evening. And then, and then it starts to get cloudy again. You can actually see the fog rolling in and you're like, no, I like my sunshine. Anyway. Um, so, you know, fun times. Yeah. Um, so, so what's going on this week? Well, um, Still not all that much, but uh, <clears throat> secret missions and stuff. But uh, I, I did some reading. I found a, an interesting article about teaching C, and uh, that sort of brought back memories. And I, I, I kind of wanted to talk about that and see what your experience was with that. Because even though C was not the first language that I learned, um, you know, it was probably the one that I, I, I don't know, officially learned or learned the best. Um, so mm. I kind of see it as my first. So anyway, mm -hmm. so this professor, John Reger, um, he's a professor of computer science at, uh, University of Utah. And, um, he, I guess, got asked by someone, you know, what he should, or what he would suggest to look out for, um, or what he would suggest to someone teaching a C class at, at, in a college. Mm. And, uh, when I read this, I just realized, you know, that, um, my, my intro to C kind of sucked and that was kind of sad. Um, but so sort of the things that he, he suggests and that, you know, they make perfect sense. And, um, I don't know why, you know, in my case or probably in many other cases, these things are not done, but basically, you know, the goal should be to, um, have the student be able to answer the question if C is appropriate, is the appropriate choice for solving the problem at hand. And I don't know if if this is, you know, an undergraduate level thing, if you have enough experience, even if you have a, you know, a really good C class to mm -hmm. answer that question, because um, I think you need more experience with other languages um, and just more of an overview of the, the entire technology stack. And I, I just don't think most people have that in, in college yet. But mm -hmm. um, that is, is, is a good goal. And uh, the way he suggests to, to get there is, is basically to um, read modern C and good C code. And that is something that we were not encouraged to do, and it obviously <laughs> didn't occur to me. And maybe, you know, things like he suggests, you know, go and look at the source code for Redis, for example. 
and mm. um, you'll get like a really good sense of what things are supposed to look like in modern and maintainable C. And then you should probably also go and look at really bad C, which is probably most of the C that makes the world work, right? Think mm -hmm. of PHP <laughs> is, uh, is basically in, in, in C, uh, open SSL. <clears throat> and the way he put it here, I love this. He said, you know, go and look at the PHP interpreter and it'll make your, it'll basically, basically singe your brain. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it is something that runs billions of times per day and it mm -hmm. runs a really huge amount of, you know, things. So, but basically, you know, compare and contrast and, and do some, some reading of C code. And that is something that, yeah, just didn't happen. We, we had our book and we did our exercises and that was the intro to, to C. And, uh, you know, I had it also as sort of a side effect, I guess. Um, we use C for our, um, uh, what are they called? Data structures class. So mm -hmm. that was sort of an accidental thing, but um, we had to learn that. So we learned a little more uh, doing that. But interestingly, both the data structures class and the intro to C were taught by TAs. Not that there aren't any good mm -hmm. TAs, but uh, unfortunately, the ones that I had, they weren't that great. And then the place that I probably learned the most, and just because I had to on my own, was uh, computer vision. Mm -hmm. uh, just to do you know, implement the algorithms and data structures for that kind of stuff. That was actually really interesting. And I learned a lot, but looking back, probably not, not the right thing. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I know this doesn't affect web developers all that much. A lot of them are probably never going to look at C or do anything in C, but everything that they do, you know, or a lot of mm -hmm. things they do is written in C. And maybe mm -hmm. if they go, if they go deeper, um, they would, uh, come to to know that or get in touch with it at least in, in some way but mm -hmm. another another really interesting thing um you know as as much as you can sort of criticize the ugliness and i think this applies everywhere this doesn't just apply to to see um mm -hmm. is that if code is ugly or it appears to be ugly it is probably that way because engineering trade-offs had to be made you know mm -hmm. either something has to be backwards compatible and run on, you know, X number of platforms. So it has to compile across, you know, multiple compilers or, you know, there was some sort of deadline issue or something, you know, and, and it's not like, um, you know, it was probably not done on purpose or, you know, there was mm -hmm. some sort of trade-off that had to be made and that's why it looks the way it does. And, uh, you know, if we could all go back and rewrite things, it would look better the second time. But uh, or if you know, if you could do it um, in, in increments, rewrite it, and you had the time and, and it was okay to do that, then it might might be different. But I thought that was a really interesting point because a lot of people beat themselves up too to say, "Oh my gosh, I just read you know some code I wrote a year ago, and it's terrible." Yeah, of course you learned a lot more since then, but mm -hmm. you also have most likely some business constraints and things like that, that required you to do things that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. So, so then the other things that he suggests that, that classes should teach. And unfortunately I didn't get this one either is <laughs> make use of the static analysis tools. You know, there's, there's static code analysis an analyzers, mm -hmm. not just for C, this goes for all kinds of things. 
and um, also, you know, learn the compiler flags, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that, of course, applies specifically to C or C++ or anything like that. Um, but basically be, you know, start to learn how to deal with warnings and fix them. You know, because, mm -hmm. for example, in PHP land, you can just turn the warnings off and then everything mm -hmm. looks hunky-dory and fine. But actually, under the, under the hood, the, the interpreter is screaming at you, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> And, and, you know, a lot of people just don't have the understanding that you should probably fix warnings. They are called warnings for a reason, and they will mm -hmm. probably bite you uh, at some point or another. Mm -hmm. And the other really good point was um, learn how to detect errors and fix them. So basically debugging, right? Mm -hmm. That is not, you know, anything... I, I mean, I remember because I learned um, this other language that starts with a P um, before. <laughs> and so I was used to writing not complex things, but I, I think I'd written something like maybe 25,000 lines of code before that, which was an app. So I had, I had a general idea of how to approach, um, you know, writing apps that are not just 20 lines of code. Basically, you know, mm -hmm. make a chunk, make it work you know, modularize it, et cetera. But I, a lot of my, um, the people that I was in class with that, you know, we worked together, they had no concept of that. They would just write the whole thing out. And then when it didn't work, they didn't know where to start and figure out how to, how to debug the thing, you know, mm -hmm. and that was nothing that was actually, um, you know, taught. And I don't know how much of this you can teach in a class per se, but you could at least, you know, mention it. So I was curious, I don't know if we've probably gotten into this. I know you'd, you've written C and you know C, but mm -hmm. um, what was your sort of your learning experience? Was it even in college or how did that all Yeah. Go? So, so I did things totally wrong. Um, by where, by wrong, I mean, there was, uh, there's a general accepted order of how you're like, what languages you're supposed to learn and when. Um, and I totally didn't do that. Um, call me rogue. I don't care. <laughs> um, but basically, so I, when I was in high school, I took uh, an advanced placement computer science class, which at the time was in C++. So my very first programming language was C++, which mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, it's like, what? <clears throat> C++ is your first language. It should be C first or assembler first or whatever. No, I did C plus plus first, mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then like it was a it was a high school computer science course where a bunch of libraries were created for you, and so it was really there was so much abstraction made for to make way for like the C plus plus bit. So like you learned C plus plus, but you didn't really learn C plus mm plus. -hmm. Um, I didn't learn anything about testing. Um, I learned a little bit about debugging using like you know. C out. <laughs> yeah. um, this is why I'm such a good JavaScript developer, by the way. <laughs> Console log all the way. Um, and uh, and then so I did an internship in college that they they were like, well, do you know any programming languages? And I was like, well, yeah, I know C++. And they're like, oh, good. So then you know C. And I was like, yeah, uh, totally. Obviously. Obviously. Because the rule is you're supposed to learn C before you learn C++. Right. But I didn't. So I basically had to do a massive crash course in C 
um, while I was in at an internship in college. So I had 10 weeks to do to build this robot. So this this robot basically, um, I like to call it the puppy dog robot because it would uh, follow people around a parking lot. Um, <laughs> just like a little puppy dog. So and like if you went further away, it would like go faster after you, and it would just kind of like try to follow you around. And if you like started running, it would start running with you, and then. Um, it wouldn't run into you. As soon as it got close, it would it would slow down, mm-hmm. right? And then it would like stop if you were stopped and all that good stuff. Um, and so I wrote that in C, but I didn't really know C because I didn't really know C++. And on the very last day of my internship, which was coincidentally also the last day I wrote C, um, <laughs> we we brought the robot out for its, its big uh, huzzah, like, we're going to do this thing. And like it performed beautifully for about five minutes and then crashed like, like software crashed Uh and didn't move. And it was like, Oh my God, what's happening. And like, I literally had two hours left for the rest of my internship. I mean, it was like, I don't know, half an hour or something like that. And, and they were like, Oh, there's a memory leak. (laughs) And I was like, well, and I'm done here, folks, and I'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> and like, so there was a memory leak. I never learned, like, now I think, you know, oh gosh, 10 years later, I can look back on that moment and be like, oh, I know what I did wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, I had no idea, and I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I totally learned it backwards. But what's interesting about this blog post, I'm like kind of skimming it uh, while you were talking about it, is that a lot of these things are not specific to C. Like yep, the idea exactly. of of like learning to debug, learning mm-hmm. your tools, knowing how to how to catch the gotchas, like paying attention to warnings, not just errors. Like that's huge. That's really important. I really wish most computer science students who graduated and then went to end up in like startups and stuff knew this stuff before they even showed up at the startups. Like it's amazing to me how um, computer science as a major is becoming really, really popular um, probably because everybody wants to be the next Zuck, but honestly, very, a very tiny percentage of the, of the people that I've seen coming straight out of college are ready to be part of uh, a fast moving engineering team. Mm-hmm. Like, they just don't know a lot of the basics and uh, where basics mean like syntax is nothing syntax. Anybody can learn. It can pick up in a couple of days, whatever. That's what reference manuals are for. But the, the higher level understanding of something is broken. Now I need to go and figure out why that piece of the engineering process isn't taught. And so if you don't teach it, then you don't necessarily learn it. I mean, some people do learn it by happenstance, but there's no like structured, hey, every single piece of code you write is a puzzle. And if you're really smart about it, you'll make sure that you make each individual piece easy to fit into the puzzle so you can just kind of build everything together and, you know, you make sure to put like bits of glue on the back of the puzzle so everything stays put. And if you need to change something, it's fine. You know, like test writing and all that good stuff. Most kids have no idea. We had an intern a couple of years ago who like was like, so testing, how do I do that? And I'm like, you don't know how to write tests? Oh my God, we have, to, we have so much to teach you. Um, yeah, but and- is, that, is, it, is it a, um, well, see, I mean, every college or I guess there's different, there's colleges and colleges or there's programs that are better than others. 
Um, and, and, uh, you know, I don't know where mine fits in, but I didn't know what a, I'd never used the debugger on, on, a, on anything, mm. um, coming out of college. That's insane to me. I've been thinking back at that, you know, and then first job, it was okay. You have a core, you have a core dump now, um, you know, run mm. that and, and, and connect to debugger and tell us what's going on. I'm like, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, all these things, okay, you can build in debug mode, and it, it builds it with symbols, and, you know, oh, I, I didn't know that, so very, very interesting. I mean, I don't know if you can, you know, come out of college or come out of a, anything like that with in-depth knowledge of that, but at least have some sort of idea of, um, you know, what's possible and how it all works, you know. Yeah. And uh, that, for me, unfortunately, wasn't wasn't the case. I had to learn that on the job, which I guess maybe that's just how it is. But um, yeah, but it's so funny because I think people expect expect more understanding before you know people show up. Yeah. Like, wait, what do you mean you don't understand how to use Git or you know whatever? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, they just didn't know yeah. <laughs> and didn't teach me that. <laughs> I mean, you could do that as as part of projects. You know, I mean, yeah. version control was. Yeah, that wasn't on the horizon at all. I mean, no, you know, totally. Maybe it's too much if you know if you have a one semester college course and it's a few hours a week. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what's realistic, but um, yeah, I do wish I, I, we had touched some of these things, like static analysis and all that. That's pretty. That's easy to or easyish to understand, I think, and to teach too. You know that hey, there's this thing that can interpret your code and tell you there. You know are it either absolutely problems in it or maybe there's problems you know Mm -hmm. uh, based on what you've written here but yeah so anyway Mm -hmm. um so you had sort of a similar similar experience i guess yeah i mean honestly i still think despite the fact that computers have been around for decades now i still think it's the wild west nobody actually knows what they're doing (laughs) Yeah. Nobody ever knows what they're doing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. He says at the end, you know, um, he doesn't think that C, uh, or, you know, some people might say you shouldn't teach C at all anymore. Um, and he thinks that mm-hmm. it's maybe not supposed to be your first or second language. Um, but the other point that he makes is also, okay, but there is an insane amount of C out there. Even if mm-hmm. we stop writing C and go to something like Rust, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's still going to be, you know, tons and tons and tons of C to maintain. So you're going mm-hmm. to come in contact as a systems programmer for sure, one way or another. And speaking of Rust, there's a, I just saw a tweet earlier today, our uh, very own listener, um, Frederick R. Anderson, he from mm-hmm. Sweden, he wrote a Rust for Node Developers introduction to rust i haven't gotten through the whole thing but hey gotta gotta read that so that could be really fun yes i would let's let's put that in the show notes because i'll put a link in there (laughs) (laughs) just remembered that um yeah yeah, it's so funny that the the things that we put in the show notes i actually i keep referring back to them (laughs) (laughs) yesterday just yesterday i was like hey we talked about this thing on the podcast where is it? And so I like had to go through like different episodes, looking at the different. So okay, 
Yeah, they are useful. Yes. They're super useful. <laughs> I love I love our show titles, but they have absolutely no bearing on no, what we talk about. You can't about. tell what the show is about at all. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I know where I was when we were talking about this. So let's look at the dates. Yeah. I thought it was sooner than that, but it was like something from like February. Um yeah. actually, so it was it was Budo. Um oh, I, yeah. Yeah, so I, I I've been I've decided to start playing fiddling a lot, uh, around with React just a little bit, Ooh. just a little, bit. and and I was like, so I'm looking at tutorials online and everything, and and there was like there's a whole bunch that are like, okay, so set up an environment and make this thing happen, use Webpack, and I'm like Webpack, forget Webpack, I don't <laughs> want to use Webpack, um, and so I was like. Okay, I don't really want to start up a whole new node server, like, you know, install Express and do all this stuff and then have Browserify and everything. And I was like, wait, wait, we talked about this. <laughs> we talked about some tool that I can just use that's just like, you know, boom, index.js, make it happen. And that tool is Budo. And oh my God, it was amazing. It nice. was like, like, it took me probably about four minutes to figure out what the hell was going on because wow. it was just too easy. I was like, this is too easy. This is taking me too long. I have to figure Sweet. this out. So, so Khalil like, is right. We need a, we need a CLI.js. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so what I did was, um, so the thing about Budo uh, to remind listeners or brand or tell brand new listeners, hi, new listeners, um, is uh, Budo is a, it's a command line tool that allows you to set up a really quick, like super rapid prototyping development environment. So if you have one piece of HTML, like one HTML file and one index.js file, and you want to use Browserify, that like you only need to touch two files, and then you can say Budo index.js, and boom, it'll just automatically work. Um, so what I did was I had an index.html and I put in the sample HTML code and then, um, and then it wanted me to like, this was a, like, you don't need Webpack or ES6 or JSX or anything tutorial. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Give me the bare bones. Absolutely nothing necessary. And it was like, now copy and paste, uh, these script tags. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I'm going to just. I'm sure that there's a React NPM module, and sure enough, there was. And I'm sure there's a React DOM module, and sure enough, there was. So I was like, okay. So I just had index.js, and I just did var React equals require React. Var React DOM equals require React DOM. And then I could just, and then I just started writing the straight up JavaScript straight out of the tutorial. And I went, uh, budo index.js, and boom, it immediately gave me a, a URL. It was a localhost URL that had my h it served up my html and then browserified the index.js file and there it was it was all right there super easy i could just keep going with the tutorial i didn't have to like think about anything else it was just straight up go and then i was like okay so i've played around with this straight up javascript stuff this is fine but let me learn about this jsx thing and so like then I found another tutorial that was talking about JSX and they were like, well, in order to use JSX, you need to use Webpack so then you can use, you can have the compiler so you can use ES6 and this and that. And I was like, this is way too much work. And I was like, surely Browserify has a JSX uh, like transpiler. And sure enough, 
npm install reactify so i just went in <laughs> and i did budo index.js and then dash dash which the dash dash basically allows you to send um it allows you to send arguments to your uh scripts so dash dash and then a dash t for transpile and then reactify and what it did was it took the regular .js file and I started writing JSX in it and it automatically used Browserify to transpile it and turn it into straight up JavaScript for me. So it was like I had to do very little work to start playing around with React just to like the barest minimalist environment at all. It took me like I think I ended up playing with React for about 45 minutes to an hour and I got to actually spend 45 minutes of that hour, 30, 30 to 45 minutes of that time actually playing with React because I didn't have to set up a whole environment and figure out what tools I needed and blah, 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 blah. It was so nice. That is so. really sweet. And I think it that's kind of how it should be. I mean. I think so too. You know, that's I why so I've too. been sort of, you know, from the beginning once once ember started doing this kind of thing where it's even more extreme um mm -hmm. you know <clears throat> everything comes prepackaged and uh you don't even have to really include much of anything to get a bare bones ember app running mm -hmm. and uh but that's basically the experience that you get you know mm -hmm. exactly what you described maybe even a little less fiddling and you're up and running and can focus yeah. on what you're actually trying to do right right and you don't exactly. have to build all this stuff and figure out this entire pipeline because yeah. i mean we've, we've been over this i think a few times but yeah i mean I, it's, it's just too overwhelming and uh if i want to do that boring. later on you know once i maybe have to or i'm interested in it then i still can do it but mm -hmm. i don't have to do it to get to you know a result and right. uh, it saves an insane amount of time yeah i mean to me it's kind of like Using Budo to play with uh, to play with client side JavaScript is kind of like using um, using the REPL, the Node REPL for yeah. server side module playing around, right? Like, I just I just need to include this module so I can start playing around with it. Mm -hmm. um, so easy, so fast. I think, and it really. So I probably like it a lot because it really speaks to my let's have fun first before we start banging our heads against the wall. Yep, exactly. Um, like this is just my method. This is just my way of life. I refuse to spend <laughs> more time hitting my head against something than having fun with it. Yeah. So I want to have fun first and then I'll bang my head against the, the, the wall or the table or whatever. But you have to prove to me that it's going to be worth it. I'm that's not going to put in the pain. That's an awesome point. Yeah. You know, fantastic. so, so Budo just lets me just play and then, and learn and see if like, cause I have to make, like, I have to make this decision. Is this, is this the right direction for the web team right now? Should we be looking at this? Like, I'm also, like, I also considered other front end, uh, uh, frameworks and, and all that good stuff. But it's like, at the end of the day, I need to answer the question is this the right tool for my team right now? Mm -hmm. And I need to and I need to make that decision as quickly as possible. If I'm spending two to three hours figuring out, well, which transpiler should <laughs> I be using and how do I hook up Browserify and what about this and that? And it's like, that's two to three hours of my time that is completely gone mm -hmm. that I should have been spending 
playing with this actual tool and like answering the question, is this worth my time? And I think for a lot of people, like, is this worth my time immediately gets to no because it just takes too long to figure out the stupid wiring. Yeah. And it's like, and I think, you know, somebody <laughs> starting out, I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, standing in mm-hmm. front of this pile of stuff that you have never heard of or you vaguely know what it is and then you're supposed to wire it up and, ugh, no, it's just, Mm-mm. that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, confirmed it's good (laughs) (laughs) it's good um but speaking of fun um so earlier this week there was or maybe it was last week the time time just keeps on slipping 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 um into the future i think um anyway um somebody will get that um so there was a conversation about robots in the slack channel the other day and um and I just, I felt really bad because one of our wonderful uh, reactivists was getting into, into node bots, but they were like, well, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the Arduino starter kit and I'm going to learn all the stuff in C and, and, and then I'm going to learn how, how electronic components work mm-hmm. and then I'll get to the node bot stuff. Like with Johnny Five, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, no, don't do that. Start with Johnny Five. It is really, really, really straightforward. It's so much less painful than all of the like Arduino code and C code and blah, blah, blah. Like it is literally define the port or like instantiate the servo uh, and list what port it's attached to and then just say servo.2 and give it an angle measurement. Mm -hmm. Done. Wow. You have now moved your servo. Fantastic. Whereas with like Arduino and C code, you need to be like, uh, use this port, uh, give it a pulse width modulation of 30% and record how far that goes and then this and then that because you can't actually instantiate anything. You have to just, you know, send a specific amount of, like it's stupid. It's it's so complicated and overwhelming and like, banging head against wall over and over and over again until you actually feel like you've accomplished something. And while yes, when you when you accomplish something, you're like, yay, I made the light bulb blink. It's like, but what if I told you you didn't have to spend three hours to make the light bulb go on and just have to spend 15 minutes? Anyway, I don't know that that's necessarily their experience. And I'm and I, I apologize if if that was actually a lot easier than what I made it out to be. But I just I just can't be behind the the idea of like pain before gain. I want gain first. Give me the gain, <laughs> then maybe we'll talk about the pain. Um, but but um, I've I think I've mentioned it on this podcast. If not, I will mention it now. But certainly on other podcasts, I've mentioned it. Um, there is this amazing tool for learning electronics, and it's it's it it's technically for kids. Um, but every adult I know who's ever played with it thought it was amazing. Um, uh, it is this thing called squishy circuits. Um, have I, have I mentioned this on the podcast? No, yeah, I think you mentioned this on change log. Okay. Yes. All right. Cause I, I'm yeah, sorry. That totally I do so many. <laughs> I do so You're many just everywhere. <laughs> <gasps> I'm so sorry. But anyway, squishy circuits is, um, so, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, I should I should note 
caveat, uh, the person who created CSU Circuits was one of my TAs in college. Um, she's incredible and amazing. And so shout out to Henry Polzenberg Thomas. Um, but she is a professor at the University of St. Thomas in, uh, in Minnesota. And she and her grad students several years ago created this thing called Squishy Circuits, which is basically Play-Doh. It's so you make two different types of Play-Doh. One is conductive and the other one is non-conductive. When you say make it, is that like add stuff to Play-Doh or make it from scratch? You can actually make Play-Doh from scratch. Okay. It's like flour and sugar and oh, et cetera. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, Salt and so, dough, I think we call it over exactly. here. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So what's funny is that you have... So the, the, the main difference between the conductive and the non-conductive doughs is one is made with sugar and one is made with salt. Oh. And and so the I think it's the sugar one is not conductive and the salt one is conductive. I could be having this wrong, but basically you 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 can make it in batches at home really easily. Um, and it's a fun it's a fun thing for kids and parents to do anyway because you know you're making a mess in the kitchen and that's always fun. Um, <laughs> and it's non toxic and you know it's just fun. You can do this from with anybody from like you know two years old and older. Um, but what's super cool about it is you can, you can use the conductive and non-conductive dough and you can put them together and then you can add a battery to it and you can actually make circuits out of this dough. And so the squishy circuits team has been going around, I want to say for almost more than five years at this point, like they've been doing it for a while. Um, and people have like swishy circuits parties and they like build circuits that have like motors running and oh LEDs flashing and all this stuff. And it's just components that you can buy at your local like electronics store. Like, like they're really cheap. Basically you could take your Arduino, uh, uh, like your basic Arduino kit and just instead of the Arduino use, uh, Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you can make circuits and you can really understand like, this is how, how a circuit works and da, 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 da. So basically Um, you could take like a a battery pack that has, I don't know, two wires coming out of it, make your circuit in, in this, with this dough. And then Mm -hmm. at the other end, stick a, uh, either, a an LED or a light bulb or something in it and then connect it and see what happens and play with it that way and understand that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Um, and you can make serial circuits and parallel circuits and, you know, all this other stuff. And um, and it's just Play-Doh. So, mm-hmm. like, you don't have to worry about breaking your Arduino. If anything, probably your your sum total cost is under 20 bucks because it's like, you know, you, you buy the really, really cheap kit of LEDs and servos and things, which, okay, maybe that'll cost you $18. And then you buy $2 worth of ingredients <laughs> Most of which are already in your cupboard of like flour and sugar and water and yeah. whatever. Um, and so, so that's really cool. Um, I think that that's, yeah, that's a, that's a really great idea. And, and I'm sort of, my wheels are spinning. It's like something yes. I could do with, well, with, with um, the two older <laughs> ones, obviously, but yeah. having not just, cause we have this, this, um, somebody gave him, my son, he's seven, gave him this, this kit. There's basically some boards and connectors and motors mm-hmm. and, and switches and stuff like that. And then there's like a, an instruction manual on to build, you know, the various circuits. And that mm-hmm. was, um, was pretty successful, I think. But if you introduce like the, the squishy mess factor, it would be mm-hmm. way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
So this is this is a shameless plug because um, I want this project to be ridiculously successful forever and ever. There is a Kickstarter for a Squishy Circuits kit that you can basically it it'll give you everything you need, Play-Doh plus components plus instruction manuals, etc. And and these are people who think a lot about play and learning. And um, so it's not going to be your super dry, like, uh, introduction to Emacs O'Reilly book, right? Like, it's going to be, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be like, like, really fun, exciting, like, with lots of pictures and colors. And it's just really, really fantastic. So I'm putting the link for that in in the show notes. But you um, said was, there was a Kickstarter? Meaning... No, there is, there is oh, there a Kickstarter. Is. Okay. Yeah. So by the time this episode is published, which should be tomorrow, um, there'll, there'll still be more than a week Depends to get on, in on this. On, on, this. On, on the rhinos and bats. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Okay. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it'll come out before the end of the week. Um, but there's like 13 days left. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll, as we'll of today. So yeah. yeah, we'll make that. But, um, and they've already met their goal. So it's not that big a deal, but I would, I just, I want everybody who has the opportunity to get in on this to get in on it. Um, no, that's perfect just, because if you if you get everything in a nice nice little package, that's so yes. that's so convenient for people that mm-hmm. don't have time to go to the store <laughs> or, yes. or don't know what to get, you know. And exactly. uh, so that that's totally awesome. I love that. Exactly. So, like, if you like to get your hands dirty and you want to start learning a little bit about a little bit more about circuits, mm-hmm. um, in a way that won't make you like like let's have the fun before like you know let's have the gain before the pain yeah um this is uh, this to me is one of the most fun ways to do it um and i i just so you absolutely do not have to participate in this kickstarter there is no requirement at all um everybody is still you know welcome to hang out in our slack channel etc <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to push this too hard. Uh, you need to show us your receipt. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, no, but, but I do know that there are people in the Slack channel who have mentioned like, Hey, I really want to get into this, but I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't say that they're scared. I just know that they are. Um, cause it, cause electronics are, are, are scary. Hardware yeah. is scary. It's not, it, it's even if you're only spending $5, or five euros or five pounds or five insert currency here um, on components. Like, it's not like a computer where you can just create your, you know, you can run Budo and then shut it all off and you've spent five bits <laughs> of energy on, uh, on on something. Like, you're actually spending actual money. Right. Um, and so anytime that there is a, a safe and fun way to learn something that you you know, are probably a little bit more than uh, a bit more than just a little nervous about. Um, I think I think that's an opportunity. So yeah, I, I uh, love the aspect that it's it's something that both kids can totally get into. Yeah, and adults the same. You mm-hmm. know, because my it, this is the and and I I love that analogy that you make. You know, you want to have the fun first. Because mm-hmm. um, my son, he's he's fiddling around with, and he's really, really into Minecraft. And he's like, I want to be a game developer. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I don't want to, you know, you know, poo-poo on the parade. I'm like, okay, first you have to do this and that. And, you know, it doesn't take just an afternoon to make a game, you know. But, you know, to to get into something like this where 
you can have immediate results and you can get your hands dirty, literally, mm -hmm. and, and have a good time and, and see results. And maybe that leads to, you know, yeah. more interest and in understanding. And that's, that's totally awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Very good. Very good suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, folks, definitely check that out. Um, so, and the other big news that just came out today, GitHub has changed their pricing model. I Did you see that. this? I, I skimmed it. Um, I saw some pros and cons and, you know, mm -hmm. things like GitHub's claiming that it's going to bring the price down. But yes, tell me more. Yeah. So basically what they're doing is they're changing their whole pricing model from per repo. So not necessarily like, so like for the, they're like different tiers, right? GitHub of yesterday. Um, it's, it was like, there's like the basic tier and then like the mini and then the large or whatever. And it was, it, you paid more money to have more private repos. And so, and, and, in the biz, uh, we call that a per repo pricing. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily exactly one to one, but you know, more repos means more money. Right. Um, and now they're changing that. They're changing it entirely to be a per person or a per seat pricing, which means uh, you have unlimited number of private repos, unlimited, unlimited, unlimited. But if you have so for the individual user, it's going to be way cheaper. Um, it's $7 a month, which was, I believe, their mini pricing anyway. Um, and you get to have as many unlimited private repos as you like. So whereas before you might have been paying like 10 to 15 or $20 a month for yourself so that you could have more and more private repos, now it's just one price fits everybody. Mm -hmm. Where it's So that's cheaper for, for individuals. Where it gets more interesting is for organizations. And GitHub of yesterday... Uh, organizations you could have as many people as you wanted on your organization in your organization and then you would pay per private repo so if you were a company like i don't know any company um if, if you're a company and you have 10 repos you paid a certain amount of money but as soon as like you hit that that special moment where you're like okay shoot i need a, an, an 11th repo um then you had to pay more and uh, and again, it would be for like 11 to 20 repos or something. I don't remember. Um, yesterday is so over. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but the important thing to note here is um, now it's unlimited repos, but you're, now you're paying per seat. So if you were an org with only – or an organization with only two people in it, um, your, your costs go down significantly, right? Because maybe you had – two people, but 30 private repos, well, now you have as many repos as you want, then you only have to pay for two people. But where things get more complicated is if you have more people than you had repos. So it gets more expensive, say, if you have 30 people and you're a company that's growing and you only have some static 15 number, like a number of, like some 15 uh, private repos or something. Well, then... Then you have to think about, okay, well... Can you have one or the other, or they're switching this completely? So you can um, only go with the, the, the today GitHub right. that you're explaining. So what they've done is they've made it so that if you had an organization before, you've been grandfathered. Like, if you uh, started yeah. your organization yesterday or earlier, <clears throat> you've been grandfathered into the, new, into the old pricing 
with the right. old pricing. So you can keep that pricing if you like. Um, but any new organizations moving forward uh, have to be in the new pricing model. Now, if you wanted to, you can also switch your organization from the old pricing model to the new pricing model. That's totally up to you. And you can change at any time. But, you know, if you like having your 150 employees in your org with 12 repos and you want to just keep that going forever, then fine. You so know, how does like- the the user management or the user account management, because now it's switching from the org paying for a block of um, repos and you can have your employees on, you know, whatever their account is, join that and you add mm-hmm. them to the org and they have access to those repos. But mm-hmm. does the org then pay now pay for that let's say you know i join somewhere and they they need a new seat basically right do they pay for my seat only for that org or do i now all of a sudden have a well i guess yes it would be that way so yeah if it's I, per it's yeah. per seat per org yeah yeah okay that makes sense. so yeah um they have a so they have a frequently asked questions on their page and ah. it, it says uh for a paid organization on github.com what kinds of users will be charged so um so you basically have to purchase a seat for each user. Um, but what is defined as a seat, right? Because like read only for public modules, it doesn't really count as a seat. That's not, that doesn't really count. So um, so a seat counts as organization members and owners, pending invitations. So as soon as you invite someone, you start paying, even if they don't accept their invitation. Um and then outside collaborators with access to one or more private re- repositories, you have to pay for them too. But if it's a an outside collaborator with access to only public repositories, then they don't really count as a seat. And billing managers also don't count as a seat. Um, so that basically allows you to, like, if you wanted to, if you let's say you have your organization and um, your chief uh, operational officer, your, your COO is in charge of paying for the org. Like mm-hmm. your COO probably isn't coding. Yeah. So there's no point in actually charging for right. that person. Um, so that's fine. They won't charge you for that person. Um, but if you are, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. It makes it definitely more complicated, I think. But uh, for some, it could be drastically better. And for others, the opposite. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So it's it's interesting. It's it's yeah. very interesting. Um, certainly at NPM, we've been following this along pretty carefully because we do do the per user pricing as mm-hmm. opposed to um, the per, in our case, per package right. pricing. Um, and people have been like, but that's not how GitHub does it. And now we can be like, <laughs> oh, yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like, certainly it's not like... It's not necessarily, you know, perfect, but um, yeah. like and and NPM's pricing model has some work that needs to be done. I don't think I'm saying anything out of line by that. I don't. It's really confusing. Yeah. Everybody writes into us and they're like, "What the hell is your pricing model? I don't yeah. understand." <laughs> <laughs> we're like, "Okay, we're working on it." We're yeah, well, that's what it. that's what I meant. I mean, if you have a clear, yeah. just a block, okay, it gives you ten repos. It might not be ideal, but it's very easy to understand. Whereas, yes. The other exactly. yeah but yeah oh well oh well probably still so, simpler than you know other big companies licensing systems <laughs> <that go laughs> per right. cpu and all that kind of stuff 
Yes. Yes. So, anyway. Very good. Um, But, yeah. So, fun times. Mm -hmm. Fun times. Um, And... uh, I think that sort of brings us to a close, no? Yeah, I think so. Anything else you scooped up this week? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Just, you know. um, I'm trying to figure out... How do I? We we have had so many people join the Slack oh, channel. Yeah. Lots of new people. It is people. unbelievable. It's amazing. Um, so. In no small part due to a certain person on this show right now. <laughs> what? No, no. I mean, maybe they came. Well, there's for a the bunch. Pro- I think there's a bunch of people that said that they came from yeah, the Changelog show, so, and that was, I have to say it again, an awesome show. So, <laughs> I um, mean, they may have come from Rockbot, but they're staying for the crab eating mongoose, <laughs> right? right? Or, or the jungle cat, yeah. or the otter, uh, otter civet, or the northern tree shrew. <laughs> Full circle, uh, full, full circle. Here. <laughs> by the way, I saw uh, I saw a wombat video. I don't know where it I came across it. It was basically this guy holding a wombat called Pete and feeding him corn, what? and it farted. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, that is one like powerful yes. little little animal. It's like it's very very. Um, I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. I thought they were more petite and you know but they are they're like they're big beefy wow it's like they're muscle like, yeah they're they're the size of like a good medium-sized dog or larger yeah. like they're not like a quokka is about cat sized but they also look extremely solid like oh yeah. yeah so they're so fun wombat fox uh <laughs> the a wombat's butt is actually like the it's like solid bone uh-huh. it's not it's not just muscle and the reason for that is because they're burrowing am- animals and um it, like sometimes maybe they like burrow and they can only get so far the idea is that if an animal is trying to attack them and tries to bite uh-huh. their butt they won't actually get anywhere and won't hurt it's just you know really rock solid so like you can't <laughs> sink your teeth into a wombat butt crazy evolution so weird just, FYI, I know you. Ever, I know everybody wanted to know that about wombats. Um, so not hard headed, hard butted. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, we are so diverse on this show. <laughs> <laughs> we try, we try. Um, so shout outs to the wonderful uh, new reactivists who have joined our Slack channel. Um, shout out to Felix Jung and uh, Fear Fage. Fear Fage, fear, I don't know, Fear, fear Fage, um, Xchez, Exchez, Exchez, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> let's see, ADZ and Ander Conson, Wuber, WBR, T Deacons, and. RJ Trout. Gosh, how long has it been since we've done an episode? <laughs> wow. Um, J. Joaquim Iwazaru. Uh, Braden337. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Elan Nelango and Sirius Manuel. I think we said hello to them. Yep. I, that rings a bell, Sirius. Yep. And goodness gracious. Yeah, now we're getting into like 
mid-April. A Young and Pete Ben. Okay, I think I, I think I think we've we've definitely. Okay. I think you got it. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, extra cool. shout outs to some. Yep. Doesn't, doesn't hurt. Mean me more <laughs> special than anyone else. Just you know, you get an extra shout out. Exactly. I mean, you're still special. Everybody's still special. Everybody is special in their very unique and wonderful ways. Yep. So I think we have, um, if I'm operating this device correctly this time. <laughs> scroll. Remember to scroll. Scroll, wait, wait, wait. scroll and refresh. The, yeah. <laughs> so, you're using the web page, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So 13 days ago, uh, which would be just after the last show, right. we got a five-star review from uh Imagineering IO, it says, great, informative, and funny podcast. A fan of all these guys, always great to get the notification on their Slack channel that a new podcast is live. Highlight of my week. Covering everything from tech to design via UX, don't mention banking, and wombats. It's got it all. <laughs> Subscribe, sit back, and enjoy. <laughs> awesome. That is super awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, that's funny. Wombats are a topic. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Excellent. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, friends who are, you know, hanging out with us, um, if you want to leave a, uh, a, 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 what? Review. If you want to leave a, what's the word? Review. Yeah, that's it. If you want to <laughs> leave a review. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a minute. It's only don't. one o'clock in the afternoon over there, right? <laughs> it's been a long day. It's been a long day. Words are hard. Um, but yeah, uh, please please do leave a review. Uh, it helps other other potential listeners find out about our show. Um, and goodness knows, we love getting more reactivists. Um, that, by the way, is Khalil's term for all of you wonderful listeners. Um, so if you hate it... Um, might I recommend uh, ganging up on him with some rough-toothed dolphins? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that list is really long. <laughs> this, this list is huge, and I'm only in the mammal section. There's like fish and reptiles and and birds, and only one insect. Really? That's not that's impossible. Mm. Cicadas. I don't that. There's, there's. I'm sure there are other special insects in thailand anyway hope you're having fun in thailand Khalil. yes i'm um, sure he is Khalil show notes. on twitter yes. by the way yes he is he's a uh, what's his twitter handle Khalil tweets yes yes in innovative <laughs> <laughs> hey i can remember his let's see if i yes. can do mine i'm h Gladdergots on twitter yay yes. Yay! And I am Rockbot. And uh, definitely check out our show notes at reactive.audio and tweet at us. Uh, we have a Twitter handle for the show as well, uh, at reactivepod. So um, say hey. Come hang out in our Slack channel. Uh, the link to that is in the show notes as well. Leave a review. Um, and, and find a reason to laugh today. Excellent advice. And yes. if you need help with that, go to the Happy Channel and you are guaranteed yes. to get one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's just no way you can't. 
I know. I, I, I love it. I love that channel. I always smile. Yeah, so, um, exactly. great. All Thanks right. Fun. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you very much. And I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye.